You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Parenting in the First Three Years. You know, I have this ongoing conversation with myself about my phone. I always feel like I need to put it down, especially when I'm around young children. And, um, you know, our phones have just become a part of our life. We do so much with them. And our children see us with our phones in our hand for a large part of the day. You know, the challenge, because the recommendation by the American Academy of Pediatrics is that we that children not have any kind of electronic media before the age of two. But I know your baby is grabbing at that phone and wanting to play with it and look at it. And um, it's real easy just to give it to them. It's a challenge because there's so many fun things to do with the phone. And frankly, it kind of occupies them and takes, you know, gives you a minute to breathe. And so there's a certain tension that we have. We know that it's probably not the best thing for babies. What we do know is that human interaction is so much better than electronic interaction. But it just gives us a little bit of space, especially today. It's so challenging because we, we are so limited in the interactions that we have with other people. So um, how can we live in this tension between the recommendations by your pediatrician and by the other professionals in your life and the real life of living every day with your baby and your toddler? What's realistic? what's okay and what's not okay about babies, toddlers, phones, and tablets. How can you figure out what's best for your baby, for your child? Because they all, all children respond differently to things. So that's what we're going to explore in today's episode. But first I want to tell you a story. I um, I worked for a number of years as the children's director at our church, and so it's very common for parents to come up to me and just talk to me about their kids and ask me questions about what's going on with them. And one Sunday, this woman came up and she was telling me about her preschooler. I think he was probably around four years old at the time. And he was just having some really difficult problems at preschool with his behavior. Um, he was just acting out and doing all these things and, you know, just, just having trouble. The teachers were talking to him. And she was talking to me about what might be the source of those problems and all of that. And, you know, I knew from watching this kid just on Sundays when I would see him there that he spent a lot of time with his iPad. I knew that he was really loving to just sit down there and play the games and he could just get fully absorbed and fully taken in by these games and and, uh, with his iPad. And so I know, just like you do, that this kind of behavior where a kid is just totally captivated by a game for really long stretches of time, um, it can affect their behavior. And I started asking questions about his iPad time and how much time he spent with it. And, And they really didn't have any margins on it at all at that time. And so I suggested that they just kind of pay attention to it and make sure that he wasn't spending quite as much time to see if that made any difference at all in his ability to manage himself in the group at preschool. And um, sure enough, it did. They came back to me a few months later and said, you know, that really did seem to make a big difference. There's a book called Glow Kids written by Dr. Nicholas Caderas who tells us that 97% of all American children between the ages of 2 and 17 play video games. 
And his book was published in 2016. That was six years ago. So I would be willing to estimate that that percentage is up at 100% now. This change in our culture is one that I've gotten to witness firsthand because I've worked in education long before smartphones and tablets were a thing for kids. I'm sure you have your own opinions about phones and tablets and kids, as well as some questions and maybe even some worries about the conflicting messages that you get about this. So what we're going to do today is look at five common assumptions about screens and the research that really doesn't necessarily support those assumptions. So let's take a look at these and you can see what you think as I go along and then, um, then maybe we can talk about it sometime. So here's the first assumption and that is that as long as the content is educational that it's good for children. Well this isn't exactly true. What research shows is that children don't always learn what the program creators intend. In fact, sometimes they learn just the opposite. Here's an example. In one study, researchers looked at an episode of Clifford the Big Red Dog. I bet that's familiar to you. And this story was about overcoming physical differences. The story was about a three-legged dog and the message was one of tolerance and kindness. But when they showed this episode to a group of five-year-olds, they found that children were more likely to be intolerant after watching the show. Why is that? Well, it seemed as if the bulk of the episode focused on the dog's physical differences, and only in the last few minutes did they get the characters together happily and did they settle their differences around this dog. So what seems to you and I like a good lesson for children kind of backfired because the designers they didn't seem to recognize how children interpret, recall, and learn from what they see. What those children needed was more time to talk about the end result of that problem instead of focusing so much of the episode on the problem. This is especially true for babies. Infants might stare at the bright colors and motion on a screen, but their brains are incapable of making sense or meaning out of those moving pictures. It takes about 18 months for a baby's brain to develop to the point where symbols on a screen begin to represent the equivalent of the real world thing. For example, um, a dog on a screen, a cartoon dog, uh, being the same thing as the dog that they have as a pet in their home. So what that says is that even if a program is labeled educational, doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for kids. Okay, here's the second assumption, and that is that children are not affected by the TV being on in the background. Well, here's the truth on that one. The TV in the background might be impacting your child more than you think. It might seem like your child is ignoring the TV, but research tells us it can have a more negative influence than you think. And it's not so much what's on the TV, it's just that it's going on in the background. In an interesting study at the University of Massachusetts, a lab was set up to look like a living room with toys on the floor, a TV, a couch, and a coffee table with some magazines on top. Mothers brought in their one, two, and three-year-old children to that room where for 30 minutes of their visit, the TV was on, and for the next 30 minutes, the TV was off. What they found by observing the moms in this room with their children is that there was a significant difference between the way the children played with the toys under each condition. When the TV was on, the children bopped from toy to toy, spending a lot less time on one toy than when the TV was off. Even though they weren't looking at the TV, and most children in this study weren't, it seemed if something was distracting them. 
The background TV, whether it was the noise or the flash of the images, was interfering with their play. And guess what? It wasn't just the kids who were affected. They also coded the parents' interactions with their children in the two conditions. And when the TV was on, there was a 21% decrease in the amount of time spent interacting with their kids. The quality of the interactions was measured by how actively they played together, and that decreased too. So bottom line is, if you like to have some noise, it's better to play music than to have the TV on. And if you can stand it, children do pretty well with some silence, especially really young babies. Okay, so here's the third assumption, and that is that all media for children under two is damaging. So here's the the truth on that one. If parents use media with their kids under two, they just need to make sure that the screen time includes and leads to social interactions with their baby instead of replacing those interactions. In other words, it means if you're holding your child and looking at it together, you're talking about it, you're responding to their comments and following their interests instead of your own interest in what you're looking at, then it's, it's a good thing for kids. My grandkids love to watch videos of themselves. In fact, we love to sit together and just go through my phone watching and laughing and talking about all of the things that we've done together over the years that I've got saved. It's a really a moment of neat connection and it's tons of fun. I think it's really important to note that right around the second birthday from around 24 to 30 months, there's a cognitive shift um, that allows toddlers to have a, a better understanding of what they're seeing on the screen versus real life. It's not a full understanding by any stretch, but you can see it a lot more after that second birthday than you can before. So what you would look for as you are kind of going through and picking out things to watch with your little one, look for basically the same things you'd look for in a great preschool teacher. You want the person on the screen who's talking to your baby to be warm and engaging. They need to repeat something a few times with pauses and a time to react. You don't want to have any not, uh, violence or aggression in those, in those videos that they're watching, which leads us to the next assumption. And that is that scary movies and TV shows just go over children's heads. Well, unfortunately, this one is definitely not true. Scary programs influence children's sleep, plus much more. Studies show that sound affects us in four different ways. Physiologically, like our breathing and heart rate and brain waves. Psychologically, in that sounds can alter our moods. And loud, jarring sounds can even cause anger and depression. The other two ways are cognitively and behaviorally. But let's settle back in on that psychological effect of sound. Think about the soundtrack of a scary show. The, whether it's a movie or a TV show or whatever it is, the music, the sound effects, the way the people speak, it's easy to imagine that those sounds could affect even really young babies and toddlers. The fact that scary programs influence children's sleep is reason alone to keep your programming baby-friendly until they're actually asleep. The last assumption that we're going to talk about is that ebooks are distracting to young children. And an ebook is defined as those books, you, you've seen them and you grew up with them, those books that have buttons to push and sound effects or answers to questions in the book, anything that is kind of electronically driven where you have to do something to make a voice come on or a sound come on. You know, and for this one, the truth is that it's all about how they're used. This assumption is a really an easy one to work around. 
Studies show that when you're reading a book that has buttons to push like that or other technological features, the tendency is for the parent to focus on that aspect of the book rather than the actual story which leads to less comprehension and recall for your child. And that's an important part of early literacy. So when you're looking at books, um, either the books that you check out at the library or books that you buy or even the books that you already have, notice the content and the context and also the connection your child has to that story. That'll help you pick out great books, including the books that have bells and whistles, literally. So those are all of the assumptions. Did they feel familiar to you? Are, they, are these things that you kind of thought about, about screens and babies? You know, as we wrap up, when your pediatrician tells you to limit screens with your child under two, now you've got just a little bit more understanding of why they say that. And you can decide when and where you'll use the apps and YouTube and videos to entertain your child. Lots of parents save the screens for those times when they know their child will have to sit and wait and be still and quiet, or they know they're going to be in a situation where they just really need to be occupied because you're not going to be able to give them your full attention. That's a great solution. I think the best thing to know is just to be aware of, of some of these negative implications of the screens with your kid. Just like knowing how much sugar is in the food you ate today or how many steps you've walked or you know how many naps your child has had today, how many minutes of sleep they've had, keeping mental track of phone and tablet time with your kids is a really good idea too. So here's what you can do. Take a few minutes and put a few toys for your child in the diaper bag or in your purse. Maybe something that's about the same size as a phone that makes noises or little books that are real small and easy to handle. Whatever you know that your child would play with, because you're the expert on your baby. You know what they like. But you'll find that a toy that has a response to their action is one that's likely to keep their attention for a little bit longer period of time. Like an old-timey calculator, those are always good with little kids. Um, a small pen light or a fidget toy might work. It really depends on the age of your child. But just rotate these little toys and just pull them out when you're at the grocery store or you're in the pediatrician's office waiting or you know wherever it is that your your kid is starting to get a little bit fidgety and you feel like you need to give them something to hold and something to do. I've put a link in the show notes for a fascinating TED talk on how the iPad affects young children by Lisa Gernsney. And I'd encourage you to take a listen if this is something that you'd like to learn more about. She's a mom and an early childhood researcher, and she has some really great insights for you. So that is it for today. I hope that you've gleaned a little bit of understanding about how you can best uh, interact and respond and live in this world with your baby, and um, I hope that this helps you. So as we close, I just want to say I'm a person who believes in the power of prayer, and I'll pray for you, your child, or whatever you ask for. Just email me at ask at nurturednoggins.com, and you can trust that I'll do that. It's just a quiet, simple way that I can connect with you and support you on your parenting journey. Until next time, bye-bye. If you loved today's episode, please share it with a friend. The first years can be overwhelming for any parent, whether your baby's a newborn or out there walking and talking and taking on the world by force. So share away. All you have to do is head to the platform where you're listening, Click on the share button or the icon and share it to a friend. 
I so appreciate you taking the time to do so, and it really helps me support other parents on their journey. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.